Welcome to Credit Union Conversations Podcast with your host, Mark Ritter, a forward-thinking CEO who excels in helping credit unions, small businesses, and real estate investors succeed. Join Mark as he explores current trends, interviews industry experts, and get fresh insights on optimizing your operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members. Hello, everyone. This is Mark Ritter, the CEO of MBFS and New Direction Lending. And I'm very excited for our episode today. Thank you for joining us. This is our 15th episode. Uh, I'm glad we made it this far. We've been building our audience. And uh, as many of you know, previous to this, we had a, a webinar that we did for the Credit Union Network every quarter. And we are getting 20 times the people listening to this podcast that we had for our webinars that we had. And many people that I talk to in conversations, they're listening to it on their way to work, at the gym, while they're mowing grass. I'm really happy I don't have to take part of your day and listen to the webinar. And you can listen to this show at your convenience and hopefully pick up a little knowledge for your credit union and maybe be entertained just a tad. Boy, I got to tell you, before we get into our guest today, we have had a crazy, crazy year. Uh, as you listen to this and as we record it, we're about two-thirds of the way through the year of 2022, and I almost feel like it's been about 10 years of my life with the way things have gone. We, when you look at our numbers, we are having a phenomenal year. Uh, credit's good. Our loan volumes are good. The operations are good. We Our staffing's been steady. We're not having trouble keeping, retaining people, which is really a blessing for us and for MBFS and for our credit union partners. But wow, uh, over the summer, things have really uh, whiplashed around for us. You know, as everybody knows, we expected rates rose a little bit, and uh, we were happy about that. But uh, what has really happened is liquidity in our industry has turned a complete 180. As you know, earlier this year, last year in 2020, credit unions were swimming in deposits. And for every dollar of loan that we had available for somebody, there was about 20 uh, credit unions out there saying, can I buy it? And it was really uh, frustrating. Now, all of a sudden, liquidity is uh, king. Uh, we have really whiplashed around, and people are struggling with their investments underwater. Loan demand is strong, and uh, it is a crazy time for getting deals funded. So what we're really doing is uh, we're having to work a little harder and uh, to get deals funded and working with credit unions, because at the end of the day, it's all about that end credit union member and getting them the services that they need. So if you need loans, uh, you're interested in buying, you're interested in selling, either through our traditional loan program or through our small business lending program, New Direction Lending, hit me up. Uh, we'd love to talk and find out where you're at and what we can do and work together. We're expanding that reach of credit unions nationwide. So joining me today is Renee Vargas Martinez of Inclusive, and he is headquartered down in Puerto Rico, and we're going to learn a lot about Puerto Rico credit unions today. 
or you're going to hear me say cooperativas, and we'll get into that for a little bit. But Renee, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mark, and congratulations on the success of your business and the podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You know, I'll give people the backstory on, on, on how we came to meet and, and working together. A few years ago, in the, the middle of uh, 2020, at the height of the pandemic, we hired a relationship manager, Leroy Sanchez, down in the Orlando area. And he is a native Puerto Rican and lived there till he for, for many well into his adult life and, and really was enjoying himself. And he moved to Florida and is now part of our team. And we're happy to have him. But of course, I become curious, and I'll admit, uh, I knew very, very little about Puerto Rico. And the more questions I asked, the less I knew about Puerto Rico, I found out. <laughs> and being in the credit union business, we talk and we ask and we say, oh, are there credit unions actually there? And it turns out, yes, there are. So one thing led to another, and we met up and looking to expand our reach into uh into Puerto Rico. Uh, but before we kind of dig into it, tell people a little bit about yourself, your your backstory, and, uh, and who you are. Sure. Thank you, Mark. So I pretty much started working in the credit union movement. I actually started as a teller at American Airlines Federal Credit Union, then moved, became a loan officer there, loved my job. They used to have two branches in Puerto Rico, one in the airport and one on the cargo area. But unfortunately, um, in 2013, those operations were closed. And, you know, we were given the choice either to move to the mainland and, you know, keep working or to stay in Puerto Rico. Now, during that time, I started you know, working on my law degree. I became heavily involved in student politics, um, made it to the board of directors of the University of Puerto Rico, our state-run university system, and I decided to stay in the island. Graduated, worked at the university for a couple of years, first as student ombudsman, then as vice president for student affairs. Then I went back to the credit union movement, and I ended up at Inclusive in pretty much in 2018, I believe, in October 2018. And I was lucky that as part of the programs that I was asked to work with at Inclusive, there was a growing network of federal credit unions and, as you said, cooperativas in Puerto Rico. So four years later, I am not living in New York anymore. I am back here at the island and working with you know our member cooperativas, making sure that they can... Um, leverage the resources that we offer and then the credit union movement in the U.S. offers as well for them to better serve their communities and low and moderate income people here in the island. That's it in a nutshell, Great. Mark. <laughs> Great. And, and so so you're a native of the island. Uh, you were gone for just a little bit, but back and uh, enjoying life. That is correct. And lucky, you know, uh, these are things that, you know, uh, with Puerto Rico, many Puerto Ricans are generally forced to leave, and I say forced because you, know, you get a great university education here, and really because of um, economic issues in the island and fiscal issues, there are not a lot of jobs here. So people tend to leave Puerto Rico and you know contribute to U.S. economy and society from all of the 50 states. Um, and I am one of the lucky ones that had the opportunity to do that and then come back and do it as well. So I'm really thankful to Inclusive and, of course, to 
the cooperativas in Puerto Rico, which have trusted us to work on their behalf. It's got to be a great place to live. When I was there, I, I was lucky enough to be in a nice hotel room, gorgeous overlooking the, the beach, and took a picture and posted it to my LinkedIn and was actually the second biggest post that I ever did on LinkedIn with this nice picture of uh, the island and uh, the, the shore there. So people love looking at it and uh, it's a beautiful place and I'm glad you're, you're back helping out people. So inclusive, many, some of our listeners may know inclusive uh, from their previous name from a few years ago when they were the national Federation of Community Development Credit Unions. Inclusive is a much cleaner name and uh, much easier to uh, push out than, than National Federation of Community Development Credit Unions. Tell me a little bit about who Inclusive is, you know, what they're doing, you know, and, and a little bit about what, what you're doing with credit unions in Puerto Rico. Sure. So, as you said, Inclusive used to have a much longer name. It, it's actually reminiscent of Star Trek whenever I used to say it. I felt kind of trekish there. Um, but, you know, Inclusive is basically, in essence, an association of credit unions that are committed to financial inclusion and community development and are committed to their communities and work so that their communities can reach financial independence, leveraging the power of credit unions. That would be our description in a nutshell. As of today, Inclusive has 485 affiliated credit unions that operate in 47 states. And most of our credit unions are CDFI certified credit unions. They are MDIs and low-income designated credit unions as well. And as an association, in our role as an association, we provide a ton of services for our member credit unions. That includes advocacy, that includes directly helping credit unions to submit those that are CDFIs and CDFI annual certification reports, education, technical assistance for MDIs through our MDI network, um, Hispanic outreach uh, through our Juntos Avanzamos program, compliance support services for small credit unions. We also have a center for resiliency and clean energy that is working um, with, to build a network of credit unions to design and scale solutions to climate change. But also, you know, we have a capital arm that is a CDFI itself. We are a CDFI intermediary, and as such, you know, we work to provide our members with second opportunities for secondary capital loans. We also have a secondary market for non-conforming mortgages, and we offer non-member deposits to those credit unions that, you know, can actually be eligible for non-member deposits. And then we also have a third area because Inclusus is also a non-profit organization. And as such, you know, we have um, uh, a third a department that's called uh, a business line that's called Inclusive Next, that is kind of our R&D outfit. Um, you know, that advances the goal of financial inclusion through the you know, design of scalable solutions. And I'm talking here about technology, tools, platforms for financial counseling um, to expand credit unions' impacts in low and moderate income communities and communities of color. So that's really it in a nutshell. There's probably a lot that has stayed out 
from what Inclusive does generally as an organization. But in the case of Puerto Rico, Inclusive really started working in the island in 2018. And initially, initially, you know, we came to the island as part as a um, coalition of organizations. Pretty much the credit union movement in the mainland came to Puerto Rico to support everyone and credit unions in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, which, um, as many of you know, really devastated the island, particularly the um, power grid and transmission lines. And once, you know, uh, we were in Puerto Rico, we established contact with local organizations like the Asociación de Ejecutivos de Cooperativas, which is basically the association of cooperative executives in the island, and started to turn that um, initial uh, journey into Puerto Rico or incursion into Puerto Rico, which was pretty much humanitarian in nature, into something that was more programmatic and was designed to help cooperativas in the island be able to leverage leverage the resources that are available for institutions that are providing similar services in the U.S. for our members. Um, most cooperativas, even though they, uh, at that moment, uh, met all the requirements to be CDFI certified, and we can talk about a bit about CDFI certification if you want to, Mark, um, really never had participated in these opportunities. Um, and, you know, the CDFI fund was created in 1994, so you had more than 20 years of having a whole network, and I'll talk a bit more about that, of more than 100 credit unions and cooperativas that could have benefited from these resources, but simply because of historical and cultural and other barriers, you know, really wasn't able to, to benefit from these resources to then redeploy them into their communities. And so we decided, okay, we're going to work on this. We're going to work on the CDFI transformation of cooperativas in Puerto Rico. We're going to invest in technical assistance to make sure that they can reintegrate themselves or they can integrate themselves to the credit union movement in the mainland. And we're still working uh, towards that. And you know, we can talk a bit more about that later in the, in the interview. Absolutely. It just seems, just from my limited experience in the visit, that the storms have really become a defining moment in Puerto Rican culture and Puerto Rico history on how devastation they were, how devastating they impacted communities. Uh, you know, when, it, it's, when I walked around, I noticed that every business and had large generators now uh, for that for that purpose. Tell me a little bit. You know, we saw it on the news. What was it like during the storms? A little bit afterwards for the people who who were there and stayed. And where would you say Puerto Rico is at in its recovery stage from those events of a few years ago? Sure. So I've actually, through my life, we've been through many hurricanes. Living in the Caribbean, same as living in the Gulf area, you know, hurricanes are a recurrent um, natural disaster. So we'd been in the past decade through several hurricanes, but this time it was different. This hurricane came in the midst of a fiscal and economic crisis that had been really hurting the island for about 10 years. So um, many of the agencies that were designed, our local agencies that were designed to respond during these emergencies had been gutted um, because of Puerto Rico's fiscal crisis and then Puerto Rico's bankruptcy. So um, when Hurricane Maria came through, it came, it, it was a two-one punch. First, it was Hurricane Herma, 
and then the next week Hurricane Maria, and Hurricane Maria just became such a powerful hurricane in, in such a short period of time that you just had no way to be ready for it. And it completely ravaged the island. Um, and when I mean ravage, I mean houses, I mean businesses, I mean the whole transmission component of our electric grid. And it's, it's important to point out Puerto Rico is not flat. So it's not like in other jurisdictions where, you know, it's easier to rebuild those transmission lines and everything because, you know, you kind of, you know, it's, it's the same, it's a similar exercise. In Puerto Rico, we have a whole mountain range and most of the power is produced in the south and consumed in the north. So most of our transmission lines go straight through that area and the only way to really fix them is by a helicopter, which is um, really different. So the rebuilding process was really hard. My case, I was without power for eight months. Um, I had family members that were without power for um, a year and six months. And it was a failure. The local response was a failure. The federal response was a failure. And we are still going through that process um, in which some part the grid was kind of rebuilt and patched for it to work, but we still have a lot of power outages, a lot of shutdowns. Power is really, really intermittent here. <laughs> um, so we're kind of pushing through that, but then that has an impact, um, an economic impact. And on the other side, price the price of power is really expensive here. It's, it's almost reaching 30 cents um, a kilowatt. So it's really hard <laughs> for us to, like it's, it's a big expense here in the island. And so right now we're still, I would say we're still in recovery mode. Credit unions in the island played an incredible part of that recovery when you know everybody else failed <laughs> to do that. And of course we can talk a bit more about that, but you know, yep. right now Puerto Rico still has a lot of challenges forward you know, in terms of its economy, in terms of its um, infrastructure. Um, and you know, we're all collectively working on that. Yeah, what from I'm I'm picturing from my visit there, uh, you know, when a uh, a tornado wipes through uh, a town in the Midwest or that uh, hurricane hits the Gulf towns, it's relatively flat. Uh, they they yep. put up the telephone poles and they put the power lines back up and they sort of string it along. Uh, going through those the mountains of Puerto Rico must have just been a daunting challenge, and it sounds like it still is today. Educate our audience a little bit about the high level, and 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 and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Credit union as we use and cooperativa <laughs> as you use. Synonyms, same idea. Am I right? That is when we use correct. It's pretty much okay. the same idea, right? but they're known as cooperativas in Puerto Rico. It's an easier translation than Unión de Crédito, which is a translation that is used in the U.S. But in here, culturally, you know, we've got to know our credit unions as cooperativas. Now, there are two types of credit unions and cooperativa credit unions that operate in Puerto Rico. Cooperativas. There are those that are federally chartered which as of today are about five. And then there are those that are state chartered and state insured. What that means is, you know, we have a network here of 105 credit unions that are state chartered and that are insured by a state um, entity. 
that's called the Public Corporation for the Supervision and Insurance of Cooperatives. That entity offers pretty much the same uh, deposit insurance than the FDIC and the NCUA does. But then, of course, it's designed for cooperativas. And, of course, it, it operates a bit differently, even though it has the same function and basically the same responsibility. Now, there is a long cooperative tradition in Puerto Rico that transcends credit unions, Mark. Um, we're talking about our first cooperativa, not financial credit, but sort of cooperative institution in Puerto Rico was in the late um, 18, 1860s, right? when Puerto Rico was still under Spanish rule. And credit unions have really had the support of the government here in the island and of social and political organizations and of very important people here in Puerto Rico. And as such, you know, um, our, there is an ecosystem of credit unions in Puerto Rico that includes, and also of cooperative organizations in Puerto Rico that includes an insurance cop called Seguros Multiples, a bank that is made up of cooperativas called Banco Cooperativo, which runs many of the transactions, a insurance co-op that is for life insurance that's called Cosby, and then there are hundreds of agricultural cooperatives, of supermarket cooperatives, of pharmacy cooperatives such as Biopharma, and all of this ecosystem supports itself. In terms of, of the cooperativas and the, the credit union, the state chartered credit unions, there are 105 and they serve 1.2 million members in the island. That's a large percentage of the population. It, it is, Mark. I mean, Puerto Rico has about 3 million people, 2.8, uh, this last census, 2.7. And to give the audience context, the largest cooperativa in Puerto Rico has about 800 million in assets and 140,000 members, right? Um, so, and this, you know, this network is a vibrant network that really has seen incredible growth after Hurricane Maria. And, you know, I can go a bit deeper here. Renee, you worked for a large credit union. And mm -hmm. we, we have, you know, many people, we have large credit unions in the United States. And we still have what I call corner of the church credit unions in the United States. Talk to our audience about what the average credit union looks like in Puerto Rico. Uh, how similar is it to what we have, and, and what are, what are some of the nuances, and what services do they offer or not offer? Uh, what, what does it look like when you when you walk in and sit down and do business with a Puerto Rican credit union? It's pretty similar than with the credit unions in the mainland in terms of products and services. You know, if everything from checking accounts to mortgages, they offer it. I think one of the main difference has to do with the members' relationship with the cooperativa. And for state chart and insured cooperativas, a member can open, for a member to be a, what would you call a bona fide member of the cooperativa, there is a requirement for them to deposit $10 in a restricted share account every month. So you have the situation where you have Members, when we talk about members of cooperativas in Puerto Rico, there are members that might have thousands of dollars in this restricted share account, which is seen seen as such a, as a kind of investment in the cooperativa. 
And then, of course, again, you have depositors that have, you know, traditional savings and checkings accounts, but are not able to benefit from other services that the Cooperativa provides. I would say that is one of the main um, differences. The upside of that is, you know, the Cooperativa members are really loyal. The assemblies are full, they participate in pretty much all of the Cooperativa events and are really proud of the Cooperativa because they see themselves as real owners of the Cooperativa because they have a stake. (laughs) And as you know, as a U.S. credit union gets bigger, they get much, much more disassociated with that and they have five people show up at the annual meeting, if that. So, yeah, that that sounds much more of a community-based rallying, so... Yes, and they do a lot of, like, they have district delegates, so you have your board members, but then they divide themselves in districts. So every If it's a big cooperativa that has, say, you know, 13, 14 branches, which is the largest one, then you have different districts, and the membership in those districts has their delegates and their representatives as well, and then they can become part of the board. So they've developed um, these systems to be able to be nearer to the member uh, and for the member to feel that even if the cooperativa grows, they're going to receive you know, a treatment that is individualized and that the cooperativa is going to always focus their work on the communities that it serves because you know, it has no other option than to do that because that's the reality here. Yes. And, and so how we first uh, connected is I am, and MBFS is a big advocate and fan of credit unions becoming involved in SBA lending. And with the, with Puerto Rico taking some lumps uh, and and having some setbacks in recent years, really, we, we think, both of us think that credit unions can play a key role in helping small businesses on the island. And we're looking at promoting and getting as many credit unions and getting capital into as many small businesses as possible. So, so I'm really excited about that. But how, how, what are else, uh, what's the future outlook for the cooperativas, inclusive, yourself? What are those points of emphasis on, on getting out into the community and helping the, the cooperativas and the communities? Where do you see it the next few years? Sure. So um, what we're seeing is a complete consolidation and you know expansion of the CDFI field in Puerto Rico. So when we started our work in the island, Mark, there were no CDFI certified cooperativas or federal credit unions on that in the island of Puerto Rico. Now there are 79. And through the past four years, there has been an investment through um, the CDFI fund of almost $71 million dollars the cooperative system. And this has been sort of a new breath for everyone here in the island because, you know, the, the, the cooperativas after Hurricane Maria really, um, and at the worst parts of the hurricane, you uh, assumed a role of community centers, community hubs, you know, um, cash centers. They opened when banks couldn't open. Actually, banks in Puerto Rico has really left the market. Like We used to have 12 commercial banks in Puerto Rico. Now there are only three. So there's been a contraction of the banking sector. And cooperativas have really, you know, burned the brunt and been there for the community. So now we are working to educate cooperativas and work with the cooperativas so that the funding that they've been receiving through the CDFI fund can be deployed even more effectively in their communities, and that includes ramping up small business lending, 
um, uh, expanding their already important solar lending and clean energy lending initiatives, going deeper into their role um, as financial counselors and doing financial counseling in their communities. We've also established new partnerships with organizations such as LISC as part of the CDFI EMC core to uh, uh, fortify financial education. So in terms of the Puerto Rico um, financial cooperative system, I see a continued growth and consolidation um, and um, a, re a continued emphasis on community development initiatives and particularly with small businesses and other renewable energy initiatives. Because, you know, we are still going to have storms coming to Puerto Rico. This is the Caribbean. There are uh, banks are probably going to continue <laughs> to leave the island. You know, it's, it's, it's our history. Cooperativas are going to be there. And uh, we're working on, on strengthening their presence here. We actually just had a situation here at MBFS where we had a borrower who lived half the year in Pittsburgh, half the year in Puerto Rico, and we just finished some financing for him for his Pittsburgh properties. And he mentioned to us that he can't get a re even a bank in Puerto Rico to return his phone call. The service was horrible. Nobody would talk to him. They can't even connect to tell him no. So we actually connected him with a Puerto Rican uh, cooperativa and they're having ongoing conversation. I think there's some business there. So I, I do think that just like here in the U.S., we can help drive uh, it, once people get exposed and it's a choice for the business community, it'll just snowball from there. So tell people how U.S.-based credit unions can support inclusive, connect with inclusive, what they can do to support and what they can do to support the Puerto Rican cooperativa movement? Sure, definitely. So there are several ways. First, um, I would suggest, you know, every credit union in the U.S. to look into the CDFI model and see if they're eligible for CDFI and join inclusive. The stronger inclusive is, the more resources that we have to be able to work to promote, you know, uh, cooperativas and help them leverage more resources. Also, I would uh, I would stress higher bilingual staff. This is weird saying this, but many many cooperativas um, in Puerto Rico want to establish relationships with cooperativas in the mainland because we do have a big population that lives outside of the island. So being able to establish those connections and share members that might be members of the cooperativas here in Puerto Rico, but also you know, um, need to go share branch or need to participate in other institutions could be helpful as well. Those big credit unions that have you know, foundations, they can also look into supporting um, our, our Puerto Rico initiative through grants and our, um, our racial equity grant fund as well. Um, and in the end, what we're interested in uh, is connecting mainland cooperativas with cooperativas in Puerto Rico so that they can share insights on serving the Hispanic market, but also so that they can um, share notes on technology and other um, aspects of the work they do. We've had, a, for example, Mark, we've had some cooperativas in Puerto Rico ask us, hey, can we visit a cooperativa in the U.S., a credit in the U.S. to see what they're doing um, in terms of their business lending? You know, and that is something that we've been trying to, to, to work with. Um, 
also, you know, there are other aspects. I think that in terms of you know, federal agencies um, and other actors inside the credit union movement, there's a, there's a big lack of knowledge about cooperativas and sometimes even distrust because they're not federal insured. And I think that, you know, educating about cooperativas, educating about the fact that they are highly regulated, low-risk institutions that are doing an incredible service here to the people in Puerto Rico, to the low and moderate income in Puerto Rico, people in Puerto Rico, to people um, that live in rural areas whose only financial institution is um, a, a cooperativa, and then sharing that information with elected officials, with um, agencies, and encouraging them to work with uh, us to be able to sort of uh, level this historical debt that there is, you know, with cooperativas in Puerto Rico, just because of that lack of integration and those barriers that nobody had really worked with to remove. Um, and so part of the work that we're doing with you is important, Mark. You know, you, you help credit unions have a, a small uh, business presence and do business loans. You know, there is a lot of need here in Puerto Rico, especially for law, for small cooperativas that are looking into doing business loans, but not don't necessarily have the resources. You know, having you in Puerto Rico visit those cooperativas was really important and meaningful because this has never happened before. It, and it hasn't really happened in a structural way. So um, whatever credits can do to help cooperativas integrate into the credit movement in the U.S. and leverage the same resources is really welcome. And I'm sorry it was such a long-winded yeah. answer. Mark, but it is really a you know a century old issue. Well, I I think there was a is a real lack of knowledge and misinformation in our marketplace that hopefully we can help bridge. And for for those of you in the show notes, we're going to uh, put how credit unions can connect with Inclusive. Uh, and support the organization and, and maybe build a bridge with our uh, Puerto Rican cooperative of uh, brothers. And, uh, and, and really, we're, we're looking at this as step one of a, of a long relationship to help build a, a stronger Puerto Rico. So thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I've really got appreciate and got to know you. And I enjoyed our visit to, to the island to meet with the uh, cooperativas. And I think we can really build on that uh, and, and make a lot of positive impact. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mark. And thank you for visiting us um, in, in Puerto Rico and for taking that step um, and, and connecting your organization with, with the Cooperativa Network in the island. So that's all for me. This is your host, Mark Ritter, CEO of MBFS and New Direction Lending. Thank you for joining us. We'll be dropping these episodes every two weeks, usually on Tuesday. So please subscribe on your favorite audio platform. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markritter.com for more information.